Thank you. And we That's love awesome. you too, Jason. Thank you. I don't, my hair's not technically gray yet. And I don't have any at all. And Neil has none. So, but yeah. we kind of fit the. So you should have, you should have prayed for somebody with hair. Yeah. I would like that. It was a very much a God thing why we're here too. So Jason's prayers were answered. We just kind of heard from God in the um, early months of the summer that this was what he was wanting us to do, to be part of this launch. So here we are. So I, I know that Pastor Jason invited us to speak because we've sort of been trying to navigate this world of relationships a little longer. We're speaking on relationships today. And, and I know that uh, that's why he asked us, because we've been at it a little longer, a.k.a. we're older. Uh, it's also true that this is kind of what Cheryl and I do most uh, of our time. So for 12 years, we've been working full-time in the area of marriage and family ministry, first at a church in California, and then uh, now we lead Family Life Canada, uh, which is a Christian organization that works across Canada trying to build stronger homes, marriages, families, parents, and uh, we really love that. So this is kind of what we do, and it's really a treat to do it here in our home church and to do it early on, and I think to do it early on sends a message that this church really does want to invest in you, your relationships, your family, whatever comes your way. So uh, we're really glad we could do this. Mm -hmm. It wasn't easy, actually, to be honest. Let's just be honest. It wasn't easy putting this together. We had uh, s sort of our typical conflict. Whenever we're going <laughs> to speak together, it seems to come. Yeah, it's funny. We're speaking about relationships. We had some relational stress yeah, we as did. we worked on this. So yeah. here's the deal. Neil wanted to give you a sort of a theological, yeah. philosophical treatise on relationships. Yes. Uh, you should have seen all the notes he had, pages and pages and pages. See, my so, background is an educator in Christian yeah. higher education, and so I'm used to like yeah. going for a long time. So if you ask Neil what time it is, he'll tell you in detail how to build a clock. That's right, that's right, because you need to know. Whereas so I wanted to give you all the practical, nitty-gritty, nuts and bolts kind of uh, things about relationship, you know, who Cheryl's, do you date, who do you marry, who do you like, yeah. that kind of stuff. Because Cheryl's background's in uh, news journalism and everything's down to 60 or 90 seconds, right? So she gets the bites yeah. and and all that stuff. So just tell me, Derek, if you want me to ditch something. We couldn't even resolve how we were going to do this. We had conflict over that. So Neil was like, okay, let's have like a preach-off. You yes. do your sermon, yes. I'll do my sermon, and then Because I'm vote. competitive. Sort of like the Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson kind of, yes. you know. head-to-head. -head. Thing off. And anyway, I'd preach, and she'd preach. Because he's so You could vote on the like, one no, you liked the best. Happen. So I said, no, no, I'm so much more mature. Let's be collaborative <laughs> yeah. and, and compromise. Yeah. And I won. So the, the bottom line, and I'm a little bit competitive too, so yeah, the bottom are, line is you you're going to get the compromise okay. solution, which is you're basically going to get two sermons. You get yep. his first and mine second, although we'll do them yep. together. So here we go. All the right. theological, philosophical basis for relationship. Okay, ready to go? All right, so on, on the uh, home page, Connect homepage at City Collective website. If you haven't been to the church website, you should go. It's a good website. But go to Connect. The very first line on the Connect webpage says this, we were never meant to do life alone. We were never designed to do life alone. That's very true. That's a core value of City Collective. And it's ver virtually the same verse as Genesis 2.18. So here's what the first part of Genesis 2.18 says. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. So the core value of City Collective lines up with one of the core verses in the Bible. That's a good thing. It is not good for the man to be alone. Now, this verse has been taught very poorly many, many places. This is not an instruction that you need to be married. This is not a criticism of singleness. This is a comment about who God is and the way we're made 
And that answer is this, we are made for relationship. So here's the theology part. So somehow, in ways that we can't really explain, God has relationship within who God is. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God has a relationship so intricate, so seamless, so in, uh, intimate, that it's fair to call God one, even though God is three. And, and Christians have been trying to find the right language for that for a long time. But there's this relationship within who God is. So if we're in God's image, we have that same capacity, that same innate nature that's oriented towards relationship. You understand? We're all, we're all good? So this is the way we're wired up. And so when we do relationships well, we're, we're living into that. We're understanding who God is. And when God said it's not good for the man to be alone, he didn't create a big screen TV and he didn't create hunting season, mm-hmm. and he didn't create craft breweries with 10-cent wing nights. I mean, he created another he created human being. He created a woman. <laughs> he didn't create a diversion. He didn't create a hobby. He created another human with whom we could do relationship because mm-hmm. that's who God is. And so if we're going to be like him, we're going to do relationship, all right? So, so the, the human God created wasn't just a, a twin, just not, not an exact copy. It mm-hmm. was... The same but different, man and woman. Now, again, just a bit more theology. Uh, Genesis one twenty seven says God created humankind in His image, male and female. He created them, and then of course that's a curious verse because you go, okay, male and female, which one is it? Which one reflects God's image? And the answer is they both do. And when both men and women are active, we know God more fully. When both men and women understand each other and live in relationship, whether that's in your home or in the workplace or in our church, we understand and reflect God more fully. That's a really profound thing. Like most of the stuff I'm teaching here, and those of you who are theology students know, we could go on for a long time on stuff I'm just saying like this. But this is what's all locked up in this verse. And so God created this person to be a companion so we could do life together, a partner so we could do work together, a helper so that we could bear the image of God together because one of us by ourselves can't do it. Yeah. We need each other. So this is where we're at, friends. Whether you're married or not, when men and women live in mutual respect, we reflect God fully. So that's where we want to start. We're made for relationship because we're made in God's image. We're made with this desire to love and be loved because God is love and we're in his image. And when we do life according to God's plan, it's not just a God thing. Mm-hmm. It's a really good thing. Relationships are good for us. Yeah, in every way. I was re- listening to a TED Talk the other day and they were talking about, it was a study actually out of Brigham Young University and they tracked all these people and to try to determine what the factors were in long life. Like the people who actually lived the longest, what, what kinds of things. And they looked at everything from health and diet and lifestyle and exercise and smoking and drinking and all of the factors they looked at. Number one predictor of a long life, relationships. The people who had a social network, who had close relationships were the people who lived longer. So for all of you that have been struggling to, you know, kind of drop carbs out of your diet and whatever, not a bad thing, but relationships are but if you really the thing. want to live long. So it's the stuff of health. It's the stuff of spiritual health, the stuff of emotional health, the stuff of even physical health, these relationships. So um, it's, it's crucially important. It's a big deal to live in relationship. Let's, let's get that straight. So the next question is, why do we have such a hard time with it? 
And we have from the very beginning. So Neil quoted this verse from Genesis 2 uh, about it's not good to live alone and be alone. And then by Genesis chapter 3, we've all messed up. The rela- the only two rela- there's only two people on the planet, but that relationship is messed up already by chapter 3. So here, why do we have such a hard time with relationships? Probably a couple things. First of all, we're humans. You know, we're just human. And inherently, after the fall, and that's another whole theological conversation, but inherently, we are selfish and self-focused human beings. Are we not? We're pride, and it's all kind of in there. Ask yourself this question, if you think you're not, if you think you're above that, ask yourself this question. If somebody hands you a photograph, a group photograph that you're in, who's the first face you look for? Right? We just intuitively, instinctively think about ourselves first. It's just part of the human condition. And so all of that comes into our relationship. And then on top of that, part of the human condition is just just an element of brokenness. You know, if we've been on the planet for longer than about 10 minutes, we've been a little bit broken. And if we, some of us have been on the planet for a lot longer, and so we've accumulated all these hurts and dings along the way, which we carry into our relationships, and it makes it very difficult sometimes for us to have healthy relationships. Uh, Then there's the whole... um, some factors that kind of are specific to this day and age. Yeah, I think it's harder today. It, it may well be harder yeah. today. There's the digital piece. So digitally we're, we're connected, but that inherently means that we've distanced ourselves from sort of uh, the eyeball-to-eyeball kind of relationships. Then there's just the, um, the pace of life, uh, the, the busyness of life. Uh, everything kind of moves at warp speed, and relationships don't move at warp speed. There, there were a couple of sociologists at Princeton um, did this experiment a few years ago. They gave some students who were the subject of the experiment, they gave them a task, and then before the task was done, they said, oh, you got to finish the task over in that building. you got to cross campus, get to that building, and finish the task. you got five minutes, go. And so they did that. And on the way, the experimenters had placed a guy, a subject, and he was laying on the ground, moaning a little bit, (laughs) and they had to walk right past him. And only 10% of those students stopped to see if the guy needed help of any kind, because they were busy. They had a task to do. They had to get going. Now, here's the kicker. These were seminary students (laughs) at Princeton (laughs) Seminary. (laughs) And on top of it, you know what they were working on? You know what their task was? They were working on a speech about the Good Samaritan. <laughs> and in the midst of prepping, the, the, the sociologist said, you gotta go over there and deliver your talk. Go, you gotta be there. And in, <laughs> the busyness just, just helped them blow right by the things they said they cared about, the things they wanted to believe in, and just went. Now they did another experiment, and they gave them 15 yeah. minutes, and 63% of the people stopped. So I still wish it was higher, but you know, the point of the, the busyness, right? This is the point, yeah. is the busyness is really corrosive. So even the things we know intuitively to do in relationship, we sometimes yeah. don't do because of the fast pace of our No matter life. what we b- yeah. say we believe, right? So then the third yeah. thing that we think kind of gets in the way of healthy relationships is just really the lack of healthy role models. Mm-hmm. You know, and here's the, the discouraging thing about that. So if we, if we look around us and see fewer kind of healthy models of good relationships, healthy relationships, I'm not just talking about marriage, but all relationships, yeah. 
And, and that means that our relationships don't have the benefit of looking at those role models, which means our relationships get less and less healthy, which means there are fewer role models, which means the relationships get less healthy. And you can kind of see how we're on a downward slide here culturally. And, and you can, he, something's got to stop. Something's got to stop the thing. And here's kind of one of the points of our, of our talk this morning is Christians are supposed to be good at this. We're actually supposed to be good at relationships. Um, in Jesus' final words to his disciples before he left the planet, he sat them all down and kind of told them everything of importance, everything that you need to know about what's going to happen and how you're going to live life. And he said to them this, and it's on the screen, by this will all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus, right off of the get-go, before he leaves them, he says, this is how you're going to be known. This is how you're going to be identified. This is going to be your hallmark, how you do relationships. And so, you know, when I was growing up, I grew up in a pretty conservative um, Christian home, but pretty conservative. And basically, we were told that Christians were to be countercultural. We were supposed to stand against our culture um, kind of by the things we didn't do. Right? We weren't supposed to, in my family growing up in my church background, we weren't supposed to drink, weren't supposed to smoke, weren't supposed to play cards. That's why we all played Rook, because it, you know, technically <laughs> it was okay to play Rook, even though it's the same game. Uh, and couldn't go to movies, you know, so it was all these things that we couldn't do. And as I've unpacked it in my brain, I'm like, I think the, the reasoning was actually pretty sound. The whole idea was Christians should stand apart from the culture. Different. Yeah. Christians should be different. We're different people. Jesus said that. We're supposed to live differently. But wouldn't it be interesting that if we could be known instead of the things that we, for the things we don't do, if we could be known for the things we do, for the things we're good at, and wouldn't it be amazing if relationships were those things that we yeah. were known for? Wouldn't that be awesome? That would, in our culture of declining right. relationships, that would stand out very counterculturally. That would more stand out than ever. more, more, more than, than anything ever. else. It's because we, we live in a culture where relationships are a priority. Nobody knows how to do them. If we could figure out how to do them, if we could show the world, it would, it would stand out like a blinking neon sign. So I've I read uh, those chapters, and I recommend them. John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Those chapters are so rich because it's the last night Jesus spent with his disciples. And he says over and over and over again in those chapters, if you love me, you'll obey me. Yeah. If you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll obey me. But read it carefully. The only command he gives, the only command he gives is this one. Yeah. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Yeah. That's the big thing. And I love Jesus' words. So he tells them this is what you need to do. This is how you'll be identified. This is their hallmark. But he doesn't leave them hanging. Right. All through his life, he's been teaching about what relationships look like. You know, there's, not, um, there's 59 verses in the New Testament, actually, that talk about how to live out relationships. 59 of them. Sometimes people, Good Bible study for you. Sometimes Check it out. people call them the one another's. Like if you want to find it, Google the one another's, and you can, you can find it out. So we're going to give you a few. Listen to these. Not all 59. Be at peace with one another. Stop pass, passing judgment on mm. one another. 
Be patient with one another. Put the best interests of the other ahead of your own. Carry each other's burdens. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other. Don't lie to each other. Build each other up. Encourage one another daily. Don't grumble against each other. Pray for one another. Use your gifts to serve one another. And then over and over and over and over and over again, all the teachers all the, in the Bible, love one another. Love one another. Love one another deeply from the heart, Peter says. Jesus said we'll be known by how we do relationships, and there's plenty of instruction in God's word for how we do it, and it applies to all relationships, friends, family, coworkers, and, 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 and our little community here at City Collective. How we do church is based on all those one another's. How we love one another. Hey, so let's talk about marriage a little bit. Everything we've been saying is about human relationship, the way we're made for it, the way we do it, the command of Jesus, hmm. and then these one another's. I mean, we could go on. You could, there's a pastor. There's a sermon series for you. You know, how do we live the one another's, you know? So there's instruction. But let's talk about marriage a little bit. Um, these are funny days for marriage in Canada. Funny days for marriage in Canada. High expectations, low opinions, you know? And uh, I, for in the last 10 years, there's been a shift so that now in the, in the 20 to 34, um, there's been a shift. Fewer people are getting married, and uh, they're not staying married as long. Do we have a graph on that? No, I'm going to actually go to the video first. Okay. I, I, I lost track there. So. <laughs> so fewer people are getting married, and those that do marry are doing so later in life. That's a fact. That's a statistical fact. So we were trying to figure that out. So we found a little, we found a young man who had an opinion about why that might be, why we're getting married less often and later. Watch this. Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to be married because it involves spit, but, you know, I want to be a daddy. Marriage involves a lot of complicated things. Hey, but like for that. whatever reason, you know, people are, it's a fact. Here's where we do have the graph. This is the graph I was referring to. Uh, this is just recent data that came out. Um, and, and, and it's true for, for the age group 20 to 34, more of them are unpartnered, as the sociologists like to say, than partnered. And that means combined, married, and cohabiting. So, uh, you know, what's that about? What's that about? Because it's, it's, it, these are interesting days for marriage in Canada. What we want to suggest to you is, uh, here's how we interpret this, this information. So try this on for size. In our thinking about it and working with couples, here's what we think. The, this reflects a preoccupation with the question of who to marry and when to marry. Oh, yeah. A preoccupation with the question of who to marry and when to marry. Because who to marry is complicated. 
There's seven billion people on the planet, and about three billion of them are connected on the internet, and, and we could technically have connection with all those people. And then if you, if you buy into the logic, which is very common in our culture, which is that you know, there's one right person, well, this abundance of choice and the chance of finding the right person in the midst of all of that is kind of paralyzing for a lot of us. We go, man, I, who to marry? I don't know. And, and what if I make a choice and then I run into somebody better later? That, you yeah. know, I don't know. I think maybe I better hang on and wait for... Because the abundance this is going of choice, on. too. Yeah, this abundance of choice. So who we marry can really be a preoccupation that keeps us from moving ahead. Now, paradoxically, uh, the preoccupation with, with who to marry not only makes us slower to marry, it makes us quicker to get out. Because when the infatuation phase wears off and there's physiological data about how, how all your uh, hormones uh, start to fade 18 to 24 months into a relationship and it doesn't, and we miss that new car smell. <laughs> and people start going, well, maybe I didn't marry this the right yeah. one because it doesn't feel the same as yeah. it did back in the beginning. And, and so it's funny when, when we're really locked into who, like a great marriage is all about the who, it makes it slower to get in and it makes it quicker to get out. Mm -hmm. That's what we see all over the time. I think another uh, question that we ask that, that, that feeds this uh, apprehension about marriage or whatever it is, is when. People go, oh, you know, when I get married, well, I have a very carefully crafted plan and it involves this amount of school and it involves this amount of money in the bank and it involves this stage of life. Uh, more so than ever, there's all this pressure, uh, both internally and externally from friends, from family, like, wow, you cannot get married. We have a, a, a young couple in our circle of uh, connection. They live out on the prairies, and they've been dating for five years. They started dating pretty young. They both just finished school. They want to get married, and her parents said, no, you have to wait three years because you don't have a job that's proven it's got some lasting ability. And, you know, we get it. Like, you have to have food. You, got, you can't starve. <laughs> But so you got these the young Christian couple that's trying to live pure and, and, and do it right, and the parents are saying, no, it's more important that you just wait till you have more money. Now, you know, I don't want to judge somebody else's story, but this is pretty common that the when dominates mm -hmm. the whole marriage conversation so much that I think people are, are missing uh, opportunities that they, that, that they should be taking. So we get preoccupied with who, I think we get preoccupied with when, and, and full disclosure, when Cheryl and I got married, we had $300 between us, and I didn't have a job, and you were in school. <laughs> I was a student. So I don't even know if I recommend that. <laughs> we probably shouldn't be preaching this far, but... <laughs> but, you know... It's it, turned out okay, 40 years later. We've worked with a lot of people, and, you know, there's no perfect answer. Yeah. I guess what we're putting on the table before you is, what questions are you asking about marriage? Yeah. Is it all the who question? Is it all the when question? Because what we'd suggest to you is, ask the why question. Mm -hmm. Start with the why question. Why would we get married? Why do I want to get married at all? <laughs> and why do I want to marry this person? That's a better place in our judgment to, to get some good answers. Because there are some pretty lousy answers why you get married. Wouldn't it be nice to dress up and have everybody look at us and give us presents? And there is a motive. Some people like to get married just for the party of it. The whole <laughs> adrenaline of planning, doing you know, that carries over, it covers over a poor relationship because they're so excited to get married, the wedding day, you know, or whatever. Or setting up house, or, you know, they're, they're, they're into other things. There's some bad ideas to get married. There's some really good ones 
why to get married, and here's the best one. Marriage is the best place to live into your identity the way God made you and learn to give and receive love, give and receive forgiveness. Learn to humble yourself and serve another person. Marriage is the perfect place to do that. And why is that good news? Because that makes us more like God and brings the peace and the power of Jesus Christ into our life. That's a big statement, but that's really what we believe in the beauty of a Christian marriage when we get married for a good why. Mm-hmm. So now we get to the really practical part of the, of the sermon, okay? So we're going to talk about three things, three practical things for all of us, whether you're married or you might one day be married. Um, three things I'm going to pass on. First of this, <clears throat> our very best advice. Become the best version of yourself. I mean, you've heard that before, but here's what this looks like. So a relationship is only as healthy as the least healthy person in it. So let's determine whether you're married or not, not to be the person who puts the glass ceiling on our relationship, who puts the governor on how, how the places we can go in our marriage. Let's determine that. Um, and it means, it means a little bit of hard work because what it means primarily is we have to get over our past. Remember I said we're all a little bit dinged up? Some of us are a lot dinged up. Some of us have had inherited stuff from our families of origin that still to this day uh, breaks our heart. Some of us had stuff done to us in adolescence and college, and some of us have had past relationships that were messed up and we were betrayed. And some of us have just, uh, we've got emotional stuff going on. We've got um, some bad habits that we picked up along the way. We've got some sexual stuff in our past. We've got some pornography in our past. We got some, we got some junk in our story. And what I would say to you, especially to those of you who aren't yet married, Let's figure out a way to get that healed up and as whole and as well as it can be, right? Because if we can get as whole and well as we can possibly be, and somewhere out there some partner is getting as whole and well as he or she can possibly be, then we stand ready to have a very whole and well relationship. Can can I just jump in? Because I know we talked about this, and I know know what you're not saying. So I said earlier about the when thing. What, What you're not saying is... Don't get married until you've got all that figured out. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not saying that. Right? So because that, you'd never, not, nobody'd ever get yeah, married then, then right? You'd never get married. If you wait You'll till you're perfect. You'll never have it all figured out. Yeah, 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 In fact, yeah. marriage is a good place to finish working some of that stuff out. Your point is get as healthy as you can. Yeah, because, you know, before we came to family life, as Neil pointed out, we were marriage pastors at this huge church, 10,000 people in California. So literally over the course of our time there, we talked to thousands of couples, like thousands, literally thousands and sometimes they'd come to us and they'd tell us what was going on here and we'd st- immediately start to kind of address this kind of what's going on here and we soon realized as we talked to them more and more that what this was was actually something that was rooted in their Deeper. past. And so they were thinking that it was about this relationship but it was really about stuff that had happened this, they, that had not been dealt with or healed up. So this is a hard thing to do. Right? We all know we're supposed to do this, so I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but this is a super hard thing to do, which is where those of us who have God in our lives have an incredible advantage mm. when it comes to relationships because we are in relationship with the God of the universe who knows us inside out. Yeah. He, knows what, he knows the junk in our story, 
And he, he wants to forgive us from it. He wants to take away the shame of it. He wants to take away the power of those things in our life. And here's, here's the advantage that it's the secret sauce. Neil doesn't like it when I say that because he thinks it trivializes it. Makes me it's hungry. the secret sauce of relationships. When we invite God into our lives, we get all of God in us. We get all of God's love, all of the joy, all of the peace, all the patience, all the kindness, all the goodness, all the self-control comes into who we are and starts to change who we are and how we behave. And what of those things does not help relationships go well? John Ortberg is one of my favorite authors, and he says something that I quote over and over again because I like it. He says, when you invite God into your life, he's going to change you. He's going to make you into a new creation. So get ready. He says, you don't just become holier, you become youier. Isn't that a great phrase? When, you invite God into, when we invite God into our lives, he allows us and he helps us and he brings all the power of the Godhead to bear on helping us become a person who can live in a healthy relationship. I think that's awesome <clears throat> news. So Jesus said... You, you, love each other. First of all, we're created for a relationship, wired up for a relationship. And then Jesus says, and this should be your identifying mark, how you do relationships. And here's a whole bunch of instruction, some one One another, another. simple. They're not complicated. They're just hard to do. Here's some instruction. And then he says, and just to help you out, I'm going to come in and live inside you, and I'll help you do that stuff that's super hard to do. Doesn't that make sense? I think that's the best news ever, which explains why Christians should have the best relationships on the planet. I forget where we are. I lost my place. That's a good place, though. That's good. I was off on that one. That was good. I wish we were more Pentecostal sometimes in this church. Could you, like, like preach it, girl? Come on. Come Come on. on. Come on. That's my favorite part. I love going to Pentecostal churches, and they're all like, come on. Come on. That's my favorite thing. All right. Hey, the second thing. Oh, no, no, I have one more thing. The more, I just want to say this, because the more we get of God, the more we walk with God, the more we follow God's plan for our lives, the more holer and weller we become, right? I know those aren't words, but the more holer and weller we become, which allows us to have holer and weller relationships, all relationships, but particularly we're talking about marriage relationships. Okay, I'm done. That was number one. That was, that was just number one. Number just two. Just number one. Develop realistic expectations. I think what we're talking about how to uh, live in relationship now, if you're, if you're open to being married at some time in the future, develop realistic expectations. Here's the deal. There's a lot of uh, expectation that when we get married, it could fix everything. Hmm. We'll no longer be lonely. It'll ha- solve our self-esteem problems. We'll have purpose in our life. Uh, I won't struggle with fill in the blank, sadness, depression, whatever, you know, a 30-minute ceremony is going to change all of that as I live with this person. Hey, we believe, we're big fans of marriage, but those expectations are unrealistic. Mm-hmm. And the problem for many of us today is when we live in a world of unrealistic expectations, when the expectations don't come true, we question the person we married and not the expectation itself. The expectation is the problem. <laughs> It's, it's not livable, it's not biblical, it's not human. Because mm-hmm. here's the deal. If you marry, you have a 100% chance of marrying a broken person. Hmm. 100% chance, if you like the theological word, of marrying a sinner. And so do they. 
because <laughs> they're marrying you, okay? So, so you got this, this wonderful thing that we're created for, but we're some sense tarnished and banged up as we try to live into this image of God. And God says, I can help you with that, but have realistic expectations. You're going to have to lean on me. You're going to have yeah. to learn. You're going to have to let me change you. That's hmm. how to look at, in, at, mm -hmm. at marriage. And what a wonderful, wonderful, relationships in general and marriage in specific are fantastic places for God to teach us things. Yeah. How to serve somebody and, for, and have a right appraisal of ourselves and all those many, many good things. Here's the one thing I'll say, one, one tip about how do you get realistic expectations for marriage? Open your eyes and pay attention to people that seem to be doing it decently well. And ask them. Talk to them. Pay attention to them. Now, this is difficult because as we get less and less healthy models, you maybe have to look a little harder at what, what, what's a healthy model of marriage look like. But, but look around. Yeah. They're there. Yeah. And, and generally, people like that would love to, if, particularly if you buy, would love to go out for coffee with you and say, you know, I'm just thinking about life and, and this can, yeah. can I ask you some questions? Yeah. And learn from people that are doing it. And hopefully they'll be very authentic with you. Uh, when Neil and I teach, and we teach all the time on marriage, we, we, try, to, we try to tell the whole story. I mean, we, we, we love being married, and we love marriage, but we try to be realistic about it, too. Yeah. We try to be authentic. I mean, we tell you, we, we, we fight before we do sermons. We, we fight on the way to marriage conferences. We try to be honest about the real part of our lives, too, because here's yeah. the interesting thing we've learned. We've done some things really, really well in our life, we in our marriage, yeah, we really, have. really well. It's none of that stuff that God uses to encourage other people. It's the stuff we've screwed up and all of the mistakes and the failures we've had. That's the stuff God uses to encourage other people. And I think it's back to this thing, this expectations that if we get married, it's going to be, it will be amazing, but you will have some bumps and bruises along the way. Uh, is Third that all? point. Third point. Last point, you'll be glad to know. Third point, practice, practice, practice. Like relationships are like every other skill we have to practice. We have to learn how to do them. And here's the other thing. Every relationship is an opportunity to practice, to put into effect those one another's, to begin to learn what it feels like to put somebody else's best interests ahead of your own. Every relationship, and those skills are transferable. So here's a good thing. If you're considering or you're even thinking about, you know, marrying someone, take a good look at how they manage the relationships in their life. So when I was dating Neil, I was young. <laughs> we were young. got married at 19. Uh, so we're dating when I'm 17. And, but I, I was pretty smart. Like, I, I was young, but I was pretty smart. I I kind of stalked him, and I kept a really good eye on how he managed the relationships in his life. I watched how he treated his buddies, but I watched how he treated the women friends that he had. He had some, he had some close women friends in his uh, church circle, and I watched how he treated them. I watched how he treated his mom and his dad, and I watched how he treated kids. I don't know why, but that was something important to me. I just kind of observed how he treated kids. And I could see that he had all the tools, and I'd never been married before, but he had all the tools that I thought I wanted to see in our relationship. So my point is... I was far shallower. I just thought she was hot. So I didn't, <laughs> I didn't have all those deep thoughts. 
<laughs> well, I was watching You're your hot. relationship. I want to marry you. I don't even know what you were watching. Okay, my my whole point. You should move on. I, we should definitely move on. Okay, my whole point was, marriage is really a lifelong friendship, right? I mean, those of us, there, nobody's been married a long time in this room, maybe, maybe Holly. Uh, but otherwise, but Maryland. you will know this, that the, the romance will come and go. The sex will come and go, depending on the season of your life, the other stuff going on in your life. Uh, that, that, that fizzy chemical feeling, the, you know, chemistry thing that you have in the first part of your relationship, mm. sadly, that goes away too. It sometimes comes back, you know. And, it does, and fits but it's replaced starts, with something better. But it's replaced with something deeper, but that goes away too. But the friendship is kind of this steady string that can go all through the whole yeah. relationship for 40 years. Our, we've been married 40 years. And that's a relational and beyond. skill. And that's a relational skill. That's transferable. So the things that make a good friendship, a good relationship in general, make for a good marriage. Be at peace with one another, back to the one another. Stop passing judgment. Be patient. Carry each other's burdens. Forgive each other. Don't lie to each other. Build each other up. Encourage each other. Don't grumble against each other. Ooh, that's one that's for me pray for one another these are the things that make good relationships and these are the things that make good marriages so we have every opportunity to be practicing and working on those things bonuses as we do that we become more and more like christ more and more like christ and more and more ready to enter into a whole well yeah, that's the beauty of it you don't do this so that you can get a friend no. or so that you can get a mate you do this because it draws you closer to god you live deeper into who you were made to be. So those are the three things. Did you get them? Become the best version of yourself you can possibly become. Have realistic expectations about uh, marriage relationship. And then thirdly, practice, practice, practice. So now that's, the message is coming to an end and it's kind of brought it full circle, okay? So we talked at the beginning about how we're made for relationship. If God is relationship, the perfect relationship within the Trinity, and we're in God's image, tarnished and banged up though we mm. may be, as we grow more like Jesus, we will get better at relationships, won't we? As we get more, as we grow in God and in grace, we will get better at relationships. Mm. God told us how to do relationships to one another's, and he just doesn't leave us on our own, as Cheryl said. He sends the Holy Spirit and says, who is a helper, and he will help you live into these relationships when we live like that not only will we be content that promise of john 13 35 will be true the world will say mm. how do you do relationships like that mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. wouldn't that be awesome to have that set of christians wouldn't that be awesome to have that set of city collective yeah that's what we're praying for and that's what this message is about come on so um <laughs> So some of you know this. I don't think speakers are supposed to say it to themselves. I don't think we're supposed to do it to themselves, but I don't know. I like that. Um, some of you know this, but six months ago I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I just finished last Friday my last treatment. Still have some, I know. Uh, still carrying some of the effects of the radiation, but for the most part, that part of our story is in the rearview mirror. We're excited to move forward into a new season of life. But um, some wonderful things happened in the last six months. I'm just going to tell you one story. So I, uh, shortly after my surgery, I got called by one of my friends, texted me and said, can we get together? I met her for dinner. And oh, she said, I have something to tell you. So over dinner, she tells me this story, and I had to write it down because I, I wanted to make sure I got it right. She sa said that the day after my surgery, 
She'd had lunch with a friend, and they started talking about love and marriage, and the friend, who was a nurse, told her about something that had happened at work the day before at the Jimmy Patterson Center where she worked. And she said, all the nurses were talking about this couple that had been in that day for surgery. So the wife was going to have breast cancer surgery, um, but the nurses were like, but they didn't seem stressed. They were like peaceful and calm. And the husband was so attentive. He was so loving and so kind. And, and they just seemed like they were really in love. And the nurses were like, that's what we want, that kind of a marriage. Like they were old, but they, they loved each other. It looked good. And so this nurse, who was a Christian, said, and somehow she said they found out that this couple was a Christian couple because they led some Christian organization that had something to do with marriage and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, and this nurse was telling my friend, she said, I'm so excited that they were Christians and that, that, that people could see that. So my friend, who knew that I was in that hospital the day before having breast cancer surgery, said, I kind of connected some dots. She said, I just had to tell you about this. I had to tell you about what happened. And, and, you know, I hesitated telling the story because I don't want you to think we're perfect or that we're tooting our own horns or whatever, but it, it was such an encouraging story for me, and I just believe that God set it up perfectly so that on one of the hardest days of our life, God would remind us that he was there and that the relationship we've built over 40 years was used to inspire some people to say, that's what I want. Isn't that cool? Uh, maybe it was some other couple. Maybe it wasn't even us. I mean, who knows? <laughs> I think it was so kind of God to give us that gift. And I think all of our relationships have that potential. If we get it right, if we work out those one another's, if we day in and day out live that way with God's help, because we can't do it otherwise, our relationships can be like these flashing neon signs against a culture that doesn't know how to do relationship but desperately longs for it. And we get the chance to yeah. say, we get the chance to say the reason we can do this is because of God, yeah. because of His what he's brought to our life, this is why we get to do it. And that's my prayer for all of your relationships, all of our friendships. I pray that our church is identified as a church that knows how to do relationships. I think we're well on our way. I pray that all of our romantic relationships, our dating relationships, our marriage relationships, I pray that all of these are reflections of the way God loves his people. And we give people a glimpse of who God is every time we um, display our relationships. And we do it when people aren't. We, Neil and I had no idea anybody was watching we that just, day. We were just doing life. We are just doing our stuff. Anyway, I'm done. I'm done. That's I'm, it. I'm going to pray, okay? <sighs> God, would you pass your hand over each heart here? And would you take your word, which was sort of, Buried in our words today. Hmm. Take away our words that don't fit. Would you take the message that just is right for each heart in the room here and cause it to take root and bear fruit that we might love you better and reflect who you are better in our friendships and in our relationships so that the kingdom of God might go ahead and the name of Jesus might be lifted up here in Langley and around the world. Mm -hmm. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, you guys. <clears throat> Thanks, Dick.